0: Hello, this is Frank Falvey with uh, Frank Presents. And it's my honor and privilege to have Nick Remesong with us today.
1: Frank, thank you very much for inviting me. This is quite an honor. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, you're more than welcome. Nick, on the radio side, Mm -hmm. you are the co-host of two programs. Yes. One is called Tour de More Perfect Union. And the other one is "Talking the Blues with Jim Derrick.
1: Yeah, Jim Derrick,
0: yeah. Uh, that that is uh, wonderful, and on the TV side, I think you used to do a sports, right?
1: I did well. <laughs> I did bocce, right? I did the bocce many years ago when I first started here. Um, uh, when I was first here uh, back in 2013, I called uh, Pete. There was a thing about volunteers, and I thought, well, this this might be something that I'd like to do. I thought, you know. I'll just volunteer, I can pull cable, carry boxes, move things around, that sort of thing. And our station manager, Pete, said, no, no, that's that's not what you're gonna do. I says, and I go to meet him and just kind of talk to him briefly one week, and the next week I'm sitting down, I'm hosting the Bocce, Senior Center Bocce Show. I'd never been on television before, never sat in front of a camera, other than, you know, still cameras, that sort of thing, video maybe. But uh, I'm out there calling bocce about, which I do absolutely nothing. <laughs> so I'd gone online and found out about ta- Italian bocce, indoor bocce, outdoor bocce, what the little bits and pieces were called. And I get there and it's a sand pit with two little sh- lean-tos at each end. I'm sitting out in the bright sun. It was the summer, so I was baking in the sun and they got a tin can with a piece of string and that's that's as technical as it got that was just to measure who was the closest so yeah, it was, so I've, I've done that a little bit. Uh, then I used to cover a lot was of- Was that behind
0: mm-hmm. the senior center or where yeah. was that?
1: Yeah, it's behind the senior, senior center. center as you right. come in. Um, it is right behind there right. and it's a nice little area. There's, right. there's a little viewing area. Right. right behind you is an elementary school. Right. So occasionally uh, we were there when they had recess so we'd hear the kids hollered and some of the kids would come up over the rise and come and look at us Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. and wonder what in the world sure. was going on. Sure.
0: Now. Watchy mm-hmm. to explain to the TV audience mm-hmm. is uh, black balls that you can hold in your hand, and you roll them.
1: Well, you throw them in the sand. In the sand here, you kind of throw them a little bit, and then they they'll roll a little bit. But of course, you know, in sand, they're not going to roll a lot. And you try to get you have this little piece that's in the center, right? And you try to get your balls closest to that little piece in the center. And it's pretty basic. Uh, and you, if you're, but there's, a, there's there is some strategy. There's a great deal of strategy, actually. Uh, <laughs> if your opponent's balls are closer to this, I, I'm sorry, I've forgotten what they call it, but close to that, you can try and knock them out. So right. it's kind of like um, curling. Curling is right. the same thing.
0: S- same as, yeah, as same. the Winter Olympics on mm-hmm. the ice. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, Only
1: no ice. It's in the sand in, in the, the summer. Sand, yeah. And then you can try and just use that those techniques to help yourself, help your team along. It's a team sport. Yeah. So yeah, now, I,
0: now, this sand for the people that have beach sand in their mind, is it really like beach sand? No. More, it, it is more a flat. Compacted sand. Eh, not
1: really compacted. It, it's somewhat. Yeah, some, somewhat. Yeah, it's some, not like a loose bu- just it's, sand it's that was just like dumped you're there. Not like at the beach. No, no, <laughs> not like you're at the beach. But it's compacted to a certain extent.
0: My, my familiarity with Bocce is the Portuguese club up in Hudson, Mass. Mm. When I was a young kid, I used to spend my summers up there. And uh, they played Bocce. So uh, Bocce uh, is a very Italian. Uh, yeah. But other countries and other European.
1: There's a a whole type of French bocce that I read briefly about. And then there's, you know, the indoor bocce, they play with steel balls, whereas the uh, outdoor is played with uh, composite clay, some sort of thing. Uh, I don't know exactly what it is, but, you know, it's not steel.
0: Nick, where did you grow up?
1: Oh, well, it depends what time of my life you're talking about. My father worked for General Dynamics, which at one time was the, uh, the number one government contra- defense contractor in this country. And I was born in Southern California, in La Jolla, California, uh, lived in New Mexico, um, Florida. I was up here for a short period uh, years ago as a kid in high school, and then moved back down south into Maryland, and um, then moved back up here with my wife um, so kind of grew up uh, several areas. Um, up here they tell me I've got a southern accent. Down back home they tell you now you, you, you lost that a long time ago. So <laughs> I guess I've, I have a southern accent up here but not down below the Mason-Dixon.
0: But you have a beautiful, wonderful radio voice.
1: Never understood that. I don't know what that means. I listen to myself and I go who wants to listen to this? <laughs> I've never understood that. I, I, I greatly, I, over the years, I've come to say, yes, thank you very much. I accept the compliment and the blessing. But to my ear, it's, I don't know. It just sounds normal. Do you sing, Nick? Oh, no, can't carry a tune in a bucket, no. No, no, you, you don't sh- want me so singing. you're the same as me. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you don't want me singing. No, you, no, no. no. It's, but uh,
0: but you, you seem to have such a great background. In music, and and knowledge of music. How did that come about?
1: When I was a kid, growing up, my parents listened to a lot of jazz. Uh, That was their, this, starting with the swing era. My parent, my both my parents were born in the late twenties, and swing. I heard a lot of swing music music when I was coming up. Count Basie, Duke Ellington, Artie Shaw, all the way to Stan Kenton and uh, you know Stan Getz, people of that sort, and. That led me to go a little further, and I kind of got very, as a young man, I got very deep into bebop, into moder- more modern jazz, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Charlie Parker, Charlie Parker stands right up on top of that. Right. And that was my passion. <clears throat> now at the same time, I'm a kid growing up in the 60s, right. in the 70s. Right. and. You know, you had to listen to what everyone else was listening to, so you could have some common ground. So, of course, it was the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, uh, a lot of folk, a lot of folk music. So it was a a mixture of stuff that I came up with. Um, But and then then also um, I worked in retail for a long time, uh, record and bookshops, and listened to a lot of classic shops. Oh God, yeah, when I was a kid in, in DC, yeah
0: and uh this is uh in washington dc washington dc yeah your your father was working in the area
1: well at that time uh we moved down to washington dc in the in 1970 and my dad had left general dynamics and he went to work for the um post office is where he started with and at that time 1970 was when the post office was transforming from a cabinet position, you had the postmaster general, right, right, to right. a quasi-public, right. and right. he. my dad had been the chief contract negotiator, union negotiator, uh, excuse me, not union negotiator, he <laughs> negotiated with the unions um, for General Dynamics. So he went down there, and basically, he set up the structures of how you negotiate with the unions, because previously, it was all a government contract. Right. It was signed, sealed, and delivered, and you just Went with it or not, and he helped restructure the post office. Now he ended his career with NASA. So we, yeah, we were down doing there for the quite same some Same type of thing. Yeah, doing exactly the same thing: labor yeah. relations yeah. and you know the whole kit and caboodle, yeah. all of that.
0: So you're in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. and uh, it's the, uh, you're going through the '60s and the '70s, mm-hmm. and so you're listening at. To some rock and roll, you know, oh, yeah. some Beatles, Mm-mm. and I, I, you're working in a record store.
1: Yeah, record and bookshop, discount record and bookshop at uh, Dupont Circle, 1340 Connecticut Avenue, in D.C. They were the that family, the Bialeks, Bob Bialik and his wife Dorothy, set up really the first discount shop of that type, virtually in the country they started with a small shop somewhere not too far from the written the um the shop that i worked at on connecticut avenue dupont circle and they just grew and grew and at one time they had uh three shops in the dc metro area and i worked at the dupont circle shop because i was going to school at the same time at george washington so it was convenient i could just drop on the hop on the uh, metro which is the subway system down there and just go back and forth. Um,
0: now, is this uh, George Washington? Uh, George Washington University. U- U- University,
1: yep. right? Yeah, right. down at Foggy Bottom. Yeah, that's All where right. I went to school, went to, went to college. Um, so, you know, I was exposed to just about everything a lot of international music. We had a lot of, uh, you know, you had a very large international community in Washington. Right, right. So you ran into a lot of different uh, types of music um, and a lot of classical. You know, I mean, we had a great orchestra. They still have a great orchestra, the Washington Symphony Orchestra. At that time, it was under the uh, the direction of um, Mr. Slav the okay. great Russian cellist, right, right. for right. years. Right. Uh, and you know, it was just a it was a great it was a great place to be for a kid my age, mm-hmm. college age and yeah. a little beyond. And it was a vi- very vibrant area, and there was a lot going on. Uh, I was in on Connecticut Avenue uh, in the shop when the uh, Shah of Iran uh, was, uh, there was all the issue with Iran right. and there were a lot of protests against the Shah's government right. and they right. would come, they would start a DuPont Circle and they would come straight down and they inevitably, somebody's windows got broken. So we'd shut down and put up plywood for the day.
0: Yeah,
1: But you know, it was, but being there in the middle of it was pretty exciting.
0: Right, right. Can't deny right. that, yeah. What did you take at George Washington University? What, what was your degree? English in? literature. English so literature.
1: Yeah, so a real useful degree. Um, no, it was a it was a great grounding in just about anything. You get a if you study well and you learn how to read. Reading is learning how to think, and you can think critically, which is a lot of the the emphasis of the courses that I took and the department at that time was you know critical critical thinking and if you can think critically about literature you can think critically about just about anything you know how to examine it from both sides and how to come up with your opinion and understand you know criticism is mostly opinion and i learned how to develop an opinion but also how to couch that opinion in such a way that i was Either being aggressive or not being aggressive, depending on either how strong you felt about it or what the subject was.
0: I wonder if you had the same uh, introduction to literature book I had as a freshman in college, mm. which is a, was a brown book. Uh, it had Albert Camus' "Winds of Jamila" in it, and it had like criticism. It had different styles of literature. Yeah. Different there are lots style. of this
1: world literature. Yeah, you're talking. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and,
0: uh, uh, and criticism, integral thinking. So you're correct in in the fact that the literature and the questions after you read it, it maybe it was descriptive. It was mm-hmm. all different types, and and so that literature course. You might did you also have to have Shakespeare? Oh and, yeah. Yeah, you you had you, to you, you had yeah. to take
1: a major author, you had to take a genre. You could well you could opt for to be what was called a genre mm-hmm. curriculum, yeah. where basically you concentrated most heavily on one area or one author. You could be you could your full genre could be Shakespeare, it could be Spencer, the *Fairy Queen* that sort of thing. You'd spend two years on the *Fairy Queen*, and I did not spend two years on the *Fairy Queen*. Not by any means. Um, very dense, a, a beautiful, beautiful language. Just not my cup of tea.
0: How, uh, about, how about existentialism and poetry by Lawrence Ferlinghetti?
1: Oh, Ferlinghetti. Yeah. Well, you're talking. Yeah, you're talking about the Beats. Yeah, yeah, the Beats, and, San Francisco. And, and uh,
0: yeah. the guy from uh, Lowell. Jack, Jack Kerouac.
1: Yeah, Gregory Corso, Jack Kerouac. Oh yeah. Now I did a lot of that reading on my own because, of course, that's American, and I was in English and english uh, it was specifically commonwealth british uh, Eng- uh british oh, studies
0: but when you say english i just thought of the english language no no I'd, you get you are you're, you're actually in england
1: yeah but most oh, of the beowulf mm-hmm. oh uh, yeah sure beowulf uh the, the the pearl poet um a lot of different uh cadmon uh, you know, you're starting War, it there, medieval. Yes. You go, up, then you go up to yeah. uh, between the wars. You go up all. The, you know, at one point, uh, at the very end, I was studying the what was then known as the Angry Young Men, and they were the British contemporaries mm-hmm. of the Beat Generation. Yeah. Kingsley Amos, uh, Philip Larkin, that sort of thing. Beautiful stuff, and it's just matter you you had a, a a lot to pick from you had a lot to choose from you had a lot to stimulate you and it did stimulate me and like i say i think if you take a degree like that you can go just about anywhere you want to go
0: yeah. well there's a college down in uh, i think it's uh, maryland or near near where uh, the naval academy is that basically teaches the 100 best books in the whole, mm-hmm. I, I forget the name of the college.
1: Johns Hopkins. Okay. Johns Hopkins, that's their curriculum there in Baltimore, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're not an obscure school by any means, yeah. Uh, no, Johns Hopkins teaches the great books. Right. And that's part, that's a, a whole curriculum on their own. And that is, that's been changed a lot since I was a young man, since I was in school there, because I had a friend who was, who was doing that. And of course, it was very Western centric. um, And they have expanded that greatly now. And it takes in a lot of world literature because to limit it. And it's just the way things were taught. Right. I'm not judging anyone on this, but I'm saying that at that time, it was heavily Western centric. You had. Oh. The, the British Commonwealth, you, you know, Great, Great Britain, you had America, you had France, you had European, you might get a smattering of Asian, uh, you might get a smattering of some Russian, very little Russian was included. It's um, certainly very little, a, you know, true Asian, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no African. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, when WGBH uh, TV started, uh back in the late forties in the fifties uh the culture really came from Greek and Rome. oh yeah, they would present TV programs and plays and in uh in uh, nineteen fifty four as a freshman at Boston English High School, I had to take ancient uh ancient history, which was really Greek and Roman history. Mm-hmm. Uh, for uh, for a year, mm-hmm. which was absolutely fascinating, but that culture is all gone. I, I doubt there is any high school in Massachusetts that teaches uh, Roman and Greek history. And mm-hmm. WBGH no longer—you'll never see a program uh, coming uh, referring back to the Greeks and Romans.
1: Um, yeah, I think. Basically, they they'll do it just kind of from an archaeological standpoint. Right,
0: right. Uh, if there's a famous
1: yeah, dig, yeah. or if there's right. news of that sort of thing, uh, someone you know road project in in Pisa uncovers something. I, in fact, there was just something very recently. Uh, I don't think it was uncovered. I think they've been working on it for years, but they've finished it in Pompeii, and I think there was something done on that. But you, yeah, you're right. It's but
0: but you you attended I gathered you've over your lifetime a lot of live performances
1: yes musically oh yeah,
0: uh, oh, yeah. where did that emphasis or, or uh, well when I f- come from
1: yeah when I first started of course it was all rock and roll I was seeing traffic uh, I was seeing uh, you know anybody Dave Mason I would see a lot of different people a lot and then there were a lot of local uh, people that I would see in the DC area DC, for years was the hotbed of bluegrass music.
0: Oh, absolutely, Seldom Seen. Yeah, the
1: Seldom Seen, uh, yeah. We used to go down to the Red Fox. Yeah, we'd go to the Red Fox and I saw the Seldom Seen in the Red Fox bar, which is where they started to play. They would play, they were known as the Seldom Seen because they would play every couple of months or you know, then they started to get a little more frequent and that's how they got their name. And to watch them live in that small little venue was just amazing.
0: Oh, yeah, Mike Aldridge played the oh, Dobro. Oh, yeah, Mike on the
1: Dobro, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, that was. That oh. must have been special. That was something. And he worked at the National Geographic uh, headquarters in. Um, were they in Gaithersburg? I think it was in Gaithersburg, yeah, Gaithersburg, Maryland.
0: Well, I think all of them had professional jobs, like oh, yeah. d- like the new Black Eagle Jazz band mm-hmm. used to play up in Hopkinton. And they were, they all were professional. Uh, yeah. Uh, Professionally, they had day uh, jobs. Day jobs. Yeah, they had to support they families. It. They yeah. did it for fun.
1: They did it, and then yeah. they just really took off. Right. And you know, they just they they just were amazing. They were amazing musicians, yeah. very accomplished, and I just enjoyed loving, enjoyed listening to them.
0: So you, you go here, bluegrass country. You go to this folk club, mm-hmm. and uh, I gather you went and saw. Uh, like jerry lee
1: lewis i saw jerry lee lewis one time and that was uh in bladensburg maryland he was at a place uh oh my mother's place was what it was called and roy buchanan used to play that a lot used to and came out of uh, cross keys the cross keys uh, was also a big club down there so i saw jerry lee lewis at one time so it was in a small venue and he just tore the place up obviously um and I saw a lot of different, uh, you know, again, rock and roll, heavy emphasis on rock and roll. We had Columbia Meriwether Post Pavilion in Columbia, Maryland, which was a beautiful outside venue. And I saw Elton John and his first American tour in 1970. Wow, Yeah. wow. Saw him there uh, 10 years after, oh, good heavens, I've forgotten most of them. But just saw a lot, saw the animals on a, uh, a reunion tour years later. And used to go to Wolf Trap in Vienna, Virginia, oh, yeah. which is ju- you know place. premier, yeah, Wolf Trap Arts Center, yeah, performing arts center. Saw so a lot of lot there, a lot of ballet. I used to love going to really? ballet. Oh yeah, a lot of ballet done there, and the. And, um, and did
0: you did you somehow understand it and or know what was happening? I don't know that you have to understand it.
1: I mean, oh, okay. if you're watching ballet, you're watching. You don't have to understand it, you just, lit, you just watch it and enjoy the movement, the steps, the music behind it. All right. Um, the stories, well, most of the stories are, were well known, but there are, some, there are some contemporary ballet I saw that was fascinating. Uh, maybe I wasn't as familiar with the music, but it didn't really matter. The movement is yeah. what you, you're looking for. I saw Alvin Ailey's uh, group dance what time and at lisner auditorium at G- george washington yeah. and so yeah I had, the arts background in washington once they got the kennedy center open just blossomed oh what's immensely. the kennedy
0: center yeah, did 19- that open 1970
1: 1970, 1970.
0: that far back mm-hmm. yeah 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 i can remember and they have one of the greatest things every year there, the kennedy Honors. oh yes yeah uh, i i usually don't want to miss that program. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is so spectacular. My yeah, they,
1: and they run the gamut of who they honor. Oh, and
0: yeah. I think there's like four or five different genres uh, that uh, uh, music, dance, theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They have specific genres that they, yeah. they have.
1: Then you in. have the Library of Congress. They yeah. have an award show yeah. every year. And that's, that's an amazing place to go into. I don't know if you've ever been there.
0: Well, I saw Odetta there at the Library of Congress. Uh, Odetta is, is just mm. someone that uh, I fell in love with when I first mm-hmm. heard her in 1959 at Purdue University. Mm-hmm. She and. Uh, um, Who were you doing in Indiana? I, 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 I was part of the United Methodist uh, youth group. Mm-hmm. And they were mm-hmm. having uh, United Methodist uh, National Convocation, mm-hmm. and uh, they had Odetta, They had a lot of uh, religious services and jazz,
1: mm-hmm. and they had
0: Dave Brubeck and uh, oh. uh, Take Five and yeah. you know, yeah. w-
1: Blue Rondo Turk. And yeah.
0: the special thing was right, Eleanor Roosevelt was there, mm. right, and uh, Eleanor gave a speech and everything else. But afterwards, she kind of met with. People that wanted to ask her questions or whatever. Yeah, and I was so impressed with Eleanor Roosevelt. I couldn't believe. I'll uh, bet you were. How how intelligent this! And at the time, the Suez Canal was blocked. Uh, They were blocking the Suez Canal. mm -hmm. And Eleanor said, "I I just want to tell you, it's all about oil. Mm -hmm. The whole thing is all about oil." Yeah, and this is back 1959. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you had.
1: Lil' Abner, yeah. Lil' Abner giving you some truths. You know, what's good for, the, what's good for General Motors is good, for, well, it wasn't yeah. General Motors, what's good for General somebody, uh, Bull Oil. Moose. Oil? General uh, Bull, what's good for General Bull Moose is Blue. good for the USA, which okay. was General Motors. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, blues, you, you mm. do this blues show with Jim Derrick, it's mm-hmm. a phenomenal show. I think you wanna go national. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, we, we are trying to Shape it so that it can be uh, picked up by a service out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. Here in yeah. Cambridge, Massachusetts, that they pick up the cost of the paying for the royalties of playing the music. As it is now, we can play the anything we want on the radio, but it's it has to stay here. We cannot uh, put it out as a podcast. Right because of the licensing and everything, you know that. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty right? familiar yeah, with Yeah, I know. <laughs> so yeah, we're trying to do something of that. Pat, you know, put it together and just try and get some guests. Uh, Jim knows everybody in the local area. Right. He, and he, he goes to every blue show. In fact, in June, we're going to see Buddy Guy on his uh, farewell tour, he's 80, 87. And we're gonna go up to Hampton, to the uh, Hampton Beach Casino and see Buddy Guy, so we've already got our tickets, so we're excited about that, but yeah, it's, but Jim, you know, Jim's with Jim's wide-ranging interest, with his work with the SAFE Coalition for drug addiction and uh, all of that here in Franklin, the beautiful work that he does there, and just the fact that he's the type of man that you can sit down with him for the first time and you know you're talking to someone who's listening and someone who's interested and someone who's sympathetic.
0: So how did how did you start following the blues? Oh,
1: I started following the blues with uh, Charlie Patton. Charlie Patton was one of the, I mean, the, the the base of the blues in in the United States in America. Um,
0: Southern plantation roots mm-hmm, music. Yep, yeah, yep, Delta um, blues. Uh, Delta blues. Yeah, um, which uh, I've always. Uh, liked and, and really kind of delved into the artists mm-hmm. of, of that mm-hmm. period in time. Yeah,
1: Charlie Patton, yeah. Uh, later on Robert Johnson. Yeah. Robert Johnson's probably the most famous name yeah. that comes out of there right. uh, because of his story. and Because he, he was, he died so young and left such left so few, but the, about 35, 36 tunes is all that were recorded. Yeah. But had uh, a fascinating life, uh, a rambunctious life to say the least. And but the, but there you know there's Sun House, there's uh, Elizabeth Cotton, uh, there's just dozens of names that come up. Right. And then you've got Chicago Blues. You've got Muddy Waters coming out of Buddy Guy, yeah, Lightning People, and Hopkins. Lightning and, Hopkins. Uh,
0: and then you the Chicago Blues. Uh, a lot of. Uh, Africans Americans migrated to northern cities. Right. Chicago became the hotbed of, mm-hmm. uh, of music uh, of the, the blues. Yeah, uh, and then you, you you go up through. Um, I I don't particularly call Dave and Rock a blues singer, but um, you you have Dave uh, you, you have uh, through the uh, 50s and and later artists. That really carried that genre on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah. Like and and May Kramer, you must remember May Kramer Mm -hmm. on WGBH Radio Mm -hmm. Blues After Hours. Yep. Always listened to that program when I she did a beautiful
1: job. That one wonderful. And she knew what she was doing. She was she she and she had a passion for it that was undeniable. It came through the radio, believe me. Yeah, Yeah. and you know, speaking of the later. Blues, Chicago Blues. It was something like Paul Butterfield,
0: the Blues Band. Sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: just amazing. Yeah. Uh, um,
0: down here in Rhode Island, um, I'm trying to think of the fellow's name um, plays guitar. Mike Zito. No, yeah, Mike is a favorite of
1: Jim's. Uh, Jim. Yeah,
0: yeah, uh, and he knows Mike. What did you do uh, for a living?
1: Oh. Depends again on what time of my life you're talking about. Uh, I've had ostensibly three separate careers. As I said, I worked in uh, in record and book retail for many years, and then went into publishing, book publishing, worked for uh, several, a couple of different publishers. Uh, I was on the road, I was a salesman. At one time, I was the North American representative for a company called Blackwell Medical Publishing. They were based out of uh, Oxford, actually, and Oxford, England, and sold medical titles, medical titles and soft sciences, allied sciences, that sort of thing, all across the country. Uh, Before that, I was the New England rep for a company called Salem House, which was actually Rupert Murdoch's first acquisition, publishing acquisition in this country. It was before he bought Harper and Row; He bought Salem House and Salem House uh, eventually just kind of went away and was integrated into what became HarperCollins, which, which is what it is today, and it's still owned by Murdoch. Uh, so I was on the road for both of those companies for years, uh, and then I went into banking. So that's what I ended my, uh, my working career as, as was a banker. Uh, I worked in a private bank. <clears throat> Worked for uh, United Trust, which is the private bank at Bank of America. Uh, sold just about everything in banking: mortgages, home equities, checking accounts, credit cards. As a relationship manager with a private bank, I was had a small list of clients that uh, some business and some private uh, that I, you know, worked to maintain, worked to make sure that they were getting the best return on what they had, yeah. and. Uh, that's that's where, as I say, I ended my career there. I ended my career actually with a local bank here, Rockland Trust, local in terms of right. Massachusetts, but right. we have a we have two branches here, right. two branches. Right. So uh, that's where I ended yeah, and, my career.
0: And Rockland Trust is a is a uh, stock owned bank, as I recall. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you can uh, buy shares, Benjamin Franklin, which is which they bought out, mm-hmm. began as a, a, a regular deposit owned and then mm-hmm. went the uh, uh, private stock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where all of this time, you, you, have you ever had a radio show be, before Not uh, before coming G- here?
1: No. Nope, I was never on the radio, I was never on television before, I mean, came to it, uh, as I say, in 2013 so you might say relatively late in life, yeah. uh, but I was thought I was too busy to do anything else. Uh, I had yeah. been told all my life, like you said at the top of the show, that I have this pleasant voice. Right. And thought, well, maybe I could do something with it, but I knew I was gonna have to pay some dues, so I thought I was gonna come here, and yeah. as I said, pull some cord, move boxes, yeah. uh, stand behind something, You know, learn how to do the recording, whatever. But uh, Pete was having none of it.
0: You're, as I said at the opening of the show, you're co-host of uh, Toward a More Perfect Union. Mm-hmm. And that-
1: A show you're somewhat vaguely familiar with. <laughs> I
0: yeah. yeah, since I created it. Yes, exactly <laughs> and right. brought all the original people mm-hmm. uh, together. Yep. Uh, it still, uh, it desperately needs uh, two more women, at least, or at least oh, yeah. another woman. Mm-hmm. Anyone, anyone listening to the program?
1: Uh, anyone listening to the program uh, is anyone invited. Anyone listening
0: to the program that would, uh, yeah,
1: and a woman we... or man, anybody who wants to oh, no, no. come we, along. We need. Well, yes, We're we
0: not, do need Natalie uh, is is out there all alone. Uh, she needs help. Dr.
1: Natalina, <laughs> yeah, Dr. Natalia Linos, uh, who's uh, the Har- Harvard University's director, Executive Director of Health and Human Rights.
0: Yeah, and, so and former candidate for the u uh, s. House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what prepa- prepared you over the years to think about issues uh, political but not not only political but social, in other words, one of your gifts uh, on that program seemed to be the ability to open uh, about what the topic is going to be, make a, a wide statement, mm-hmm. and really be able to participate in whatever the particular topic is, and then uh, to be able to wrap up the uh, program. Uh, you, you see, but to do that, you've had to have years of thinking about uh, social and political issues. How has that developed within you? Uh, It goes back, I know, to your college days in Mm -hmm. in your literature. Mm -hmm. And when in college, did you also have to take writing courses?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, that was a very, yeah. Yeah. You had to, uh, every freshman, Every university freshman at George Washington University that wanted to, be, you know, get into the uh, the English language English literature uh, department had to show a a level of competency in composition, in writing, and they had uh, the first course you had to take was freshman comp, and that to me, I thought. I really don't want to go through this again so i was able along with quite a few others i mean you could exam out so you could show a proficiency that was already established and then you did not have to take the writing uh, a freshman comp which was two two hours a day four days a week and that was just more than i wanted to spend <laughs> writing out essay after essay after essay now having said that you did because you had to show that competency because most of what I did, most of what I, in my advanced courses, was write. Right. You had essays that had to be written every week for two or three or sometimes four classes, depending on what level you were at. And you had to also show a competency if you took exams. They were not multiple choice, A, B, C, D, you, you were writing essays. So if you could not convey a basic idea, if you could not show your proficiency in being able to explain what you'd read, how you thought about it, where you, or to, to critique it, you, you, you walked away, you, became, you went into something else, you were encouraged to go into something else. So I was able to exam out of that, which, as I say, was not that unusual, believe me, um, because I'd had a good grounding uh, when I was a kid in high school. But as regards to the thinking about politics and social issues, I was in Washington, D.C. It was all around you. Everywhere you went was politics and social issues. Uh, we lived in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is uh, borders uh, Washington, D.C and is just, you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a U.S. representative, a Supreme Court justice, uh, you know, someone who worked deep into the, into the government. Yep. Uh, a Guy down the street worked for the Joint Chiefs of Staff at the mm-hmm. Pentagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids mm-hmm. I grew up with went into this. Um, very good friend of mine, and my, my brother's was, is a fellow by the name of Dave King. Dave King was Special Forces. He was a couple of years younger than I. He came up through high school. He got into ROTC, the whole thing, and he became a career Army officer, career soldier. Served in Special Services. He was serving as the Special Services liaison to the Joint Chiefs of Staff on uh, the day on 9/11. He was there. He went into the Pentagon, into the bank, when that plane came down and suffered severe burns over most of his body. So, prior to that, he'd sacrificed a lot for this country. So, I mean, I had examples of that sort, Mm -hmm. people of service. Mm -hmm. Maybe I didn't agree with them 100%, but these are people of service. You can serve on any level. If you're a man or a woman of service, you command respect right right and this is what i saw all around me right. these were people who were a lot of them didn't consider it just a job they considered it service to the country right. they considered it service to their families right. and this is inspiring so i became involved i went to a lot of marches marched in a lot of a lot of times up and down pennsylvania avenue I uh, saw John Mitchell uh, watching us from the Department of Justice one time, and that <laughs> caused quite a stir. Uh, but in addition to that, you know, social issues, everything, everything ties in together. You, you can't buy a gallon of gas without being involved in a social issue, I think. Uh, where did that gas come from? How much, was the, you know, the peop- how much were people paid to risk their lives to go in and get that gas? Yeah,
0: yeah. I, does any of this come out of a religious background?
1: I am now, I am at this time, what I would call a man of faith. I'm an evangelical Christian. Came to that at the age of 59. Prior to that, I had been raised in the Catholic church, but at the age of 15, walked away from the church. And with all the wisdom and the intelligence and the guidance of a 15 year old, I decided there was no God. It was done with, I was done with that sort of nonsense. And then at the age of 59, I'm feeling at loose ends and there's something missing. And a series of events conspired to bring me to this church in Hopkinton, Faith Community Church. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was a matter of two days two days, I mean, that's, you get thunderstruck by something like that and it, it doesn't take long. Right. So yes, there is a faith background and I serve a great deal in ministries, um, just and particularly, and since I've been retired, I have redoubled that effort,
0: uh-huh.
1: serving in local ministries with the church. Uh, part of what I do, why I do what I do here is to serve uh as long as people think that I can fill a need and it's a need that I can you know I support or I can I can I feel has value
0: so between 15 and 59 right <laughs> yeah and during that period I, I gather there was very little uh spiritual or faith or based mm-hmm. that that you experienced or lived so most of your uh, critical uh, thinking uh, came from a secular point of view?
1: Yes, yes, from a very secular point of view. I mean, as, as my wife will tell you, when she first met me uh, back in 19, uh, let's see, 19, mm-hmm. uh, 1979, um, at that point I was living almost exclusively in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was not too involved with what was going on around me in terms of social interactions. And basically she kind of brought me out of that, thankfully. So it was just uh, aging and evolving on that level. But yes, very secular, um, very um, Mm -hmm. humanist-based, which, you know, as an evangelical Christian, a lot of a lot of uh, thought is that, you know, you have to move away from the humanist basis. I think we can integrate it to a certain extent, but yes, if it's not Jesus centric, I'm sorry if that offends, but if it's not Jesus centric for me, it's, it, that has to be the basis for me. Now, I do not, I do not condemn, I, would ne- I don't judge. That's a big part of my faith. I don't judge. I don't, if you have something that compels you to live in a, a, a certain way, uh, that compels you to be a person who lives in a moral existence, and is concerned for the wealth, health and, and well being of not just yourself, but of all, all those around you. How you get there, I don't judge. I don't judge.
0: Um, so you married in, uh, or you met in 79 mar- and married in 80. And married in 80. Mm-hmm,
1: 1980. You have,
0: you have children?
1: No, we were never blessed with children. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had dogs. <laughs> 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 they're, <laughs> they're a little less uh, expensive. They can be they can be pricey, but in the long run, you don't send them to college. They don't want a car. Uh, oh. They might like riding in the car, but they don't want to drive a car.
0: You've got to take them out for a walk every day, regardless of the weather. <laughs> I mean, you gotta take them to the vets. I mean, I'm not a particularly care for dogs. So oh. I'm not a- Oh, no. I'm not a, I mean, why in the world would, would do people want a dog?
1: Oh, my <laughs> heavens. The unconditional love that you get from that animal oh. Oh, is priceless. It's just priceless. And dogs, I think, animals in general, they live in the present. They live in the moment. And I think that that is something that we can take a real lesson
0: from. That's why people have cats. Cats, yeah, <laughs> cats are fine. Do you have cats? I've, I have had cats. Yeah, see? I don't have any now. No, well, see, what, what's the cat, and, and, dog? And talk about expensive yes, years. Persian, Persian cats can be expensive. Yeah. And you have to comb them more, almost oh, yeah. every day. Well, a golden but
1: retriever, you have to spend a good deal of time on also.
0: On also. Yeah. I, I want to go back to writing. Mm-hmm. Um, that is uh, an ability that I don't have. Uh, I I I I can't write because I can't spell. I, I have a lot of problems with spelling and and just even the basics. But y- you are so right. Even you know I have a bachelor of science degree in accounting. Mm. Uh, you know. So you speak a foreign I, I, language. I, well. But in accounting, yeah, right, accounting—that's a foreign C, language. If you're a CPA, right, mm-hmm. the people that rise to the top are not the people necessarily that know the numbers and can put them together. It's the people that can write out and express uh, what all that means in in summary in writing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you are absolutely right that anyone listening to the program that if you can study literature, you know literature, how you, how you study it, and you can learn how to write critically uh, paragraphs, different types of paragraphs. Uh, that skill, uh, uh, I necessarily didn't have that you have on uh, uh, make uh, uh, moving toward a more perfect union. Mm-hmm. That is a skill uh, that I think each and every one of the current people on that program and their mm-hmm. ability their ability to critically think mm-hmm. of of the issues and and bring to the public uh an outstanding cross section of mm-hmm. of dialogue mm-hmm. and, and how to uh, uh, present both sides and and how to learn from one another, uh, I, I think is absolutely outstanding.
1: Oh, well, yeah, I, I, the people we have are just, um, as we, we mentioned, Dr. Natalie Alinos, we have Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, who's a higher education consultant who lives right here in Franklin. Uh, we have our representative on Beacon Hill, Jeff Roy, and Jeff Roy is an attorney by, tra- by training. So you have to you have to be able to write to a certain extent as an attorney. You know, you have to write briefs, and you have to be very, and they're generally not that brief, but you do have to be able to critically describe what's going on, and what your point is, and you have to be convincing. Um, and our station manager, Pete, just amazing. One of the most intelligent, clear-thinking people I've ever met, and he can write.
0: But oh, uh, writing, I he think- He can write beautifully. Yeah. On Saturdays, I look forward uh, to going to uh, uh, Franklin TV on your computer, and up will come uh, what's on—a mm-hmm. a, a thing you can click on. Right. And Pete will have a poem, a, a essay, uh, something uh, about what's uh, happening on that day. Or uh, so. Uh, yes, everyone on that program uh, has a higher cognitive ability, ability to write, and ability to discuss. When is that program on? Uh, it's,
1: let's see, Mondays. Uh, it airs, let's see, is that the first part? That's the second part. So the Blue Show, I think, comes on at 9, it's two hours. So uh, be Monday, mon- 11.
0: 8. Oh, oh the, uh, is it eleven?
1: Eleven, yeah, because the blue show is two hours, and right. that goes 11, up, comes up at nine, so eleven, and two, then two, I
0: think. Yeah, two, eight.
1: two and eight, yeah. Uh,
0: and your and, and so Monday is your day on the radio all day, yeah, practically. Man,
1: well, yeah, that that's, you know, and Jim always brings that up in the show. He says, if you're not tired of listening to him, you can listen to him for another hour. You know, usually, usually we just do an not just we do an hour show for the and more. And the radio
0: annual. we're talking about is one hundred two point nine, uh, W.
1: F. P. R. F. M. Yeah. Yes. W. F. P. R. Franklin Public Radio. W. F. P. R.
0: Yeah. And one hundred two point nine F. M. Yep. mm Mhm. Well, the uh, the life now that. Uh, your the age that you're now at, and looking back. mean
1: sixty <laughs> nine,
0: and 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 looking back, mm-hmm. uh, do you see connections through your life or or a purpose that that developed and and kind of stayed with you, uh, in reflecting on how things went from one way to another way?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, basically, the thread that I see is just, and it's 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 a concern. Um, I have a concern. I've always had a concern for the state of literature in this world. Uh, I, this is, and this is again something a little. Far off from where I am now, but I still have this the state of the concern of literature, the state of literature, the state of the book, the state of publishing uh the state of the novel I mean the novel's been declared dead for i don't know a hundred years now, and it just keeps coming up and coming up and coming up um, but I think concern is most of it concern for and it's not it's not to toot my own horn but concern for right. The welfare and the well-being of others, which is something that my parents instilled in me. Um, you, you know, I had a, a very bountiful upbringing, middle-class upbringing. In this country, if you have clean water, if you have a roof over your head, if you can go to the pantry and get food, if you can, you have a vehicle that works. You're in the top one percent of wealth in the world the top 1%. I mean, you're not a billionaire, you're not a millionaire, but you're still in the top 1% of wealth in this world, which means that most most people in this world exist on, literally, if not pennies, dollars a day to exist. And this concern I have with, how do I I, I've given. I, I no longer seek to justify what I've done. In terms of having so much and so many blessings, I know they're undeserved and they're unearned. There's nothing I can do about that. Uh, what I can do is try and share those blessings, which is what I'm doing now. And that's something that I think was has been with me for most of my life: is just concern for equity in this world and concern for. The well-being of others. Um,
0: well, what is your concern in, from a literature point of view? Is oh, it, literature, sure. Is, is it that um, we're not diverse enough or we're not grappling with the right issues in, uh, in novels? I, I was watching uh, TV today and apparently the number one novel and bookseller that came out is a novel about India. And a person uh, who is the son of a gangster in India, about a journalist, and mm. about another person. And apparently, it gives a very cult, good cultural description mm-hmm. of the different regions in India. It's going to turn into. Uh, Three books, like a lot of novels, true. Mm-hmm. three
1: yeah. books. The, the standard Victorian model, the three the three volume novel. Three volume. Yeah, volume. yeah.
0: So, so, is it is it missing that type, or, or what? Well, what I, is I don't know that anything's missing.
1: What I what I what I worry about is that we become less and less verbal. Um, graphic novels are can be can be powerful. I'm thinking something like Mouse, M-A-U-S, a a very early graphic novel about a mouse in a concentration camp. But the fact that when I was a kid growing up, and this is very basic, comic books. We had comic books. There was dialogue ran throughout the comic books. Very rarely did you have a a panel that just showed someone standing there. Mm -hmm. And now comic books, they're just pictures. You're kind of flipping through. Just pictures. I mean, most of them are just pictures. From what what I've seen, what I've seen. I'm not gonna judge everything. Judge anything, actually. Um, But I think we're becoming a little too interior. I just say I lived most of my life in my head. And I think with, again, social media, uh, the internet being just 24 seven, look at news reporting news reporting has become, they, nothing is vetted, nothing is thoroughly researched. You don't cook it 12 different ways. Uh, and kind of an example of this, go, go watch the movie All the President's Men. And you'll see a, just a real cursory view, of, overview of how a newspaper article used to be before it was published. Ben Bradley sitting there with uh, Woodward and Bernstein. You went through, and if you could not back up your, your source 12 different ways, you didn't get published. That doesn't it, happen now. You've got to be first if, out there. If
0: you run for the U.S. House of Representatives. Ah, uh, well. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's getting a little.
0: <laughs> uh, Nick, Nick, thank you for being here. Thank you, there. Frank. I really I appreciate it. it. Enjoyed it immensely. Yes, it was a great fun, and uh, yeah. sometime uh, hopefully you'll be able to come back and continue. Uh, I'd we'll be glad continue. to.
1: I'd be glad to. So
0: this is uh, Nick Remeson and Frank Falvey uh, wishing you a happy, healthy, and productive day, and hope uh, we've contributed something uh, to your viewing time of watching this. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Appreciate it.